What is up, K-Corner Podcast, and how are we doing today? First off, I'd like to welcome you all back for another episode. I want to apologize for how late this is going to be uploaded, especially for all you guys on the East Coast. I had a very crazy day. Uh, We went golfing today at 1, and I had a work thing at like 9 that lasted, or it was supposed to be at 9, and then Natalie was supposed to go with me. She uh, was a little hungover from Thanksgiving food. So it got pushed back to like 10, 30, 11. I was originally going to upload in between before we headed to golf at one, which was about an hour away. And then, and then afterwards we, we were both really hungry. Uh, we found it best to just eat. So I, I decided, Hey, we're going to be driving across town because Natalie's going to the ASU Arizona game tomorrow. And I just wanted to, you know, get, get the podcast going, get you guys uh, out there. What that means is it may be a little bit shorter of a pod today. Uh, I may be talking through, you may have a bunch of distractions in the background. Uh, I'm just asking you all to be very patient with me because uh, I, I know I probably should have been more responsible in uploading today, but uh, the day kind of got away from me from what the original plan was on when I was going to be uploading and stuff like that. Now, what I would like to say and what I'd like to thank everyone is, first off, shout out Sam Walkus at Promo Guy. Uh, I really appreciate the shout out that you put me on on Twitter. I gained like four or five followers from it, which for most people may not be a lot, but I appreciate anything and everything that, you know, people put out there for you. So obviously, it's a huge, it's a huge NFL weekend, but uh, the reason why I think college sports, you know, everyone always talks about college sports dying. And, and one of the reasons why I don't think college sports is ever going to die, as we know it, even with NIL coming in, even with all these other things, is college sports is one of the most beloved types of sporting events. The passion in the fan base is absolutely crazy. So like I said, uh, we are going to be exp- ex- experiencing some some conditions. We, I am traveling in a car right now as I'm recording. My uh, girlfriend Natalie, say hi, Natalie. Hi. Natalie is currently driving us across town. She was so kind enough to do that so I could record this podcast because she's a very dedicated and lovely girlfriend. But getting back to the point of the matter is, I completely forgot that Thanksgiving week. One of the trends that we've seen for college football is that teams usually schedule games on Thanksgiving, like the Ole Miss game was, or today is super jam-packed with college football. I completely forgot about that when I was covering it. I was really anticipating, you know, the big Auburn versus Alabama, Michigan versus Ohio State, Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State games this weekend. But there were some ranked matchups on Friday, some scares that you definitely saw throughout the week. Um, that I didn't cover. Um, on, on the same note, I kind of forgot about the Monday Night Football game because I was so excited to talk about the Thursday games on Wednesday. So I have four games to review for the NFL. I have the whole entire Sunday slate. I have, for what I am, uh, what I do know is that Monday, or uh, sorry, I'm going to preview all the college football games and talk about the games yesterday and today. Uh, it might be a little bit quicker of a podcast. I'm going to try to get this done in around an hour. Um, we'll see kind of where time leads us. I'm not going to try and rush through it. If, if I get it done, if I don't get it done, it's irrelevant. Uh, I'm just going to pound through some content here. So if you guys could all sit with me and, and deal with some of the background noise, I'd really appreciate it. But here we go for the Friday, the biggest college football weekend in in you know, in the year, in the fiscal year until you get to the New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, this really is the weekend that for regular season college football, I think has sometimes a bigger impact than the championship games the, the next weekend we're going to see here. So first off, I'd like to talk about the Ole Miss-Mississippi State game. Uh, Ole Miss is not the number nine team in the country. And I know during rivalry week, you sometimes see teams that aren't as good play up to the level. Mississippi State's a fine football team. I think they lost five games this year. Uh, a, a handful of them were close. They play in the SEC. Yeah, they're seven and five. But let's just notice the fact that Ole Miss was two touch two touchdown passes dropped, two missed field goals, and, and you know those are the things where in a rivalry game, especially a team like Mississippi State. You have to win by two or three touchdowns to prove you're the number nine team when the other team is making that many mistakes. Now, if Mississippi State played a lights-out football game and you still win by 11, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. They're probably 11 points better. 
But when Mississippi State gives up easily 13 free points, like 13 points that were in and out of their hands, uh, a, a few other opportunities that they clearly missed, it was just unacceptable that they only won by 10 points in this game. And what you kind of see and what I want to get to and, and talk about is this Ole Miss team is literally only beefed up by the fact that they played Alabama pretty damn well, and they have some weird non-weak conference games. Like, they almost lost to Arkansas, arguably should have lost. Their defense isn't very good, and only the fact the Mississippi State's receivers and running backs dropping pass after pass after pass uh, at the home field there, it would have been a Mississippi State win. Um, I do know college football is a little bit weird in the ranking scales, but if going into next week that if Mississippi State or if Ole Miss sorry drops a little bit, I think that would be deserving. So that was the big Thursday game of the top 25 matchups. Now we get into today's games. First off, I want to highlight San Diego State. Boise State was up, I believe, 13-3 to or 13-7 to maybe, and San Diego State roars back 27-16. I know I talked about this multiple times, that Boise State isn't necessarily the same team that they once were. You can't think of the Kellen Moore days. Their offense really isn't as explosive as you'd want it to be. It's really just a mediocre offense with an above average for the Mountain West defense that still got exposed for San Diego State. San Diego State finishes the regular season 11-1, which is absolutely fantastic for them. Former Michigan head coach Brady Hoke leading those guys, leading the Aztecs over there. Shout out to him on having himself a wonderful season. 11-1 puts them in to not, they're, they're currently ranked 21. They probably won't move up much unless there's a bunch of different upsets this weekend. But what we can kind of all predict is that they're going to be in an important bowl, maybe challenging a, a smaller, or a, you know, a smaller SEC or Big Ten school that certainly struggled this year. So that is always very interesting. Then we have two other games before I talk about the big one, the, the, the one that really matters that kind of emphasizes a whole entire season for a football team. First up, Arkansas doubles up Missouri. Missouri coming off the big win against Florida, getting Muschamp fired out of there. And, and that was really the, the backbreaker for that Florida team. Like, he got fired, and it wasn't really a surprise for anyone that that happened. Um, overall, what we see this Arkansas team is, is they're, they're not irrelevant anymore in the college football sphere. When they had Ryan Mallett and they had Darren McFadden, they were, they were a tough team to play. You always hated going into the SEC and playing this hard-nosed, woo-pig-suey uh, kind of football team over there in Arkansas. And over the last few years, I think Bo Pelini was there. He absolutely imploded that program. He tried to bring like this run and brawn instead of having speed and physical strength up the middle he kind of brought this light weak offensive performance and the defense was slow and big and what we ended up seeing is you know he got ran out of there got ran out of there and in 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 what have you Cincinnati takes care of business against East Carolina, but still, East Carolina is not a good football team, guys. They're seven and five, but they were up on this team. Uh, they were up early, seven three. Cincinnati ends up going twenty one to three. Their offense kind of stalls out. East Eastern Eastern Carolina ends up making it twenty eight thirteen in a late touchdown from Cincinnati, makes it thirty five fourteen. I still don't think they're the number four team in the country. I can say that a lot, and they still won all of their games, so maybe I'm the irrelevant dumb one. But just when you watch, and we talk about the eye test, uh, the, the committee talks about the eye test, they don't look like an undefeated team. They played a lot of bad teams close. They have problems offensively at times where they are just in, in, incapable of doing things, and they really rely on a defense to go out there and dominate. And they haven't really played a good offense this year. Indiana, who they played earlier, Earlier on in the year, which was one of their, you know, power five opponents, doesn't have a great offense. You look at Notre Dame, they really don't have a great offense. I mean, they had to take Wisconsin's backup who couldn't play and beat out Graham Mertz, and Wisconsin's offense isn't very good. So when you look at all that, it's kind of like how are these teams, how's the Cincinnati team, 
you know, kind of getting the easy road in a lot of these situations. Uh, I, I don't think they're great. I think they're a very good team. I think they get the benefit of playing a Notre Dame team who's not great, but also didn't have to play anyone really strong on facing a Notre Dame team early. I think if that Notre Dame team played them again right now with how their offense is moving and running and churning, just the size and strength that that uh, Notre Dame offense poses, I think that it might not be a chance that that Notre Dame really, you know, or that Cincinnati really hangs around in that game. But the game that I want to talk about to finish out talking about today until I roll into one game where I'm going to hint about and probably talk about next week, um, Iowa versus Nebraska, guys. I, I talked about this last week. They're going to play Wisconsin close. It's going to be a close game, and it's going to come down to turnovers, usually at the end. If you watched Nebraska implode in this game, I feel bad for you. I know uh, promo guy, MI, he had money on the game, and shout out to a dude, which is a funny story. Thank you for showing me this, Sam. But it was a dude who uh, ended up passing away. Um, right before Thanksgiving, I think he was in his mid-60s, 70s maybe, and he said he wanted everyone to hammer the no, uh, the Nebraska money line this weekend for Nebraska to beat this Iowa team. And uh, Nebraska was actually favored in this, which makes this crazy. So Nebraska was up 21-6 at a point in this game. Iowa comes back, makes kicks a field goal. You know, 10 plays, 57-yard drive, typical Iowa. They'd settled for three field goals at this point. Nebraska gets a punt blocked for a touchdown. So now uh, Iowa is up 21 or Sorry, Nebraska is up 21-16 with that touchdown from Iowa. Then Nebraska fumbles on their uh, fourth play. Iowa recovers. Iowa punts the ball away. Nebraska gets a safety on the first play. Then when they punt it, Iowa kicks a field goal. So a 21-9 game and three possessions of really bad football from Nebraska puts this defense in a terrible spot. And now it's 21-21. Nebraska fouls this up with a punt. Iowa storms down the field. Six plays, 75 yards. I mean... This defense had to have been dead tired. They let up a 10-play, 5-minute drive. Their offense is on the field for 111. Their offense is on the field for 2 minutes. They're back on the field for a minute. Safety happens, 41 seconds. I was back on the field for another 2 minutes. Nebraska keeps the ball for minute 23, and then they're on the field for another three minutes. They got just absolutely ran away. Uh, you see this again and again and again in Nebraska games where the offense consistently puts the defense in really bad situations, causing defensive errors, def causing the defensive line and everyone to get tired and make mistakes. And then the end of game, the, the quarterback for Nebraska, Lucas Smothers, who was in the same recruiting class as Bryce Young, and uh, C.J. Stroud, no, and D.J. Uyunglele, uh, he ends up rushing for two touchdowns, 64 yards, only threw for 198, but throws the crucial interception for Nebraska to lose another one-score game. Nebraska became and just set a record for losing eight games by a by one score or by eight points or less. So losing eight games. Each individually, eight points or less. They set the NCAA record. Absolutely horrendous season. Finishing games is not in Frost DNA. Maybe they have a bounce back season. But for Iowa, guys, I don't know exactly what needs to happen there. But what we can't have is for Iowa to remain in this mediocrity. I mean, they eventually have to evolve, right? They have to change the way that they're playing football. They have to change the way they address the offensive side because night in and night out you see this you see this Iowa team throw up top five defenses they, they throw up defenses that are incredibly talented incredibly strong smart well coached and these offenses are just appalling they, they really don't know what to do they, they're never able to move the ball whenever they play a good team they always lose these tight and contested games yeah they lose those games and the question becomes is is that okay is sitting in between 10 and 25 and pulls year in and year out okay for the Iowa Hawkeyes. What it, what, what it seems is that they're okay with it from a head coaching uh, uh, 
athletic director, uh, alumni, is they get people in the games, they have the waves after the first quarter. It, it's a cool tradition, but Iowa just isn't a team that's prepared to make a run for a championship, to fully win a Big Ten title, to go play for anything meaningful. They're going to play a lot of important games because they're going to be ranked high, because they play so consistently, because their defense is so good. But at what point in time does someone over there say, hey, we know you got the defensive side of the ball figured out. We know you can develop tight ends. We know all the things you can do. But can you, for the love of God, figure out a way to innovate offensively, to get a good quarterback to come to our school, to get a quarterback that isn't just mediocre, that doesn't just check down, that doesn't just do the simple things, but makes you win games. And it's I've seen it for the last 10 years, and I just wonder if if Iowa, maybe, maybe the fans are part of it too because Iowa fans, they love their Hawkeyes, but man, this is the most mediocre, and mediocre in a good way. Like, I'm not saying mediocre in a bad way. I don't mean it as a negative connotation, but they are mediocre. They are the stamping point. Good teams will beat them. Bad teams will lose to them, but they probably won't blow out a lot of teams unless their defense takes over a game. They don't have terrific running backs that go through there. They really don't have good... Uh, wide receivers. They don't have good quarterbacks. Really, their only focal point is offensive line, tight ends, and then they're going to get you a defensive lineman and probably a cornerback or two. And that is who this team is. But where, when, will the, when will they ever evolve, guys? And for Frost, he just needs to figure out how to manage games. I'm, I'm not going to talk about, you know, I'm going to talk about later the Lions and managing Dan Campbell, but holy shit, how do you lose this many games by bad plays? Because it, it can't, like, I get a few times... You know, players make bad plays. You know, it's on them. And, and truly understand that. Uh, people talk about, well, the coach needs to coach better. It's like, he can scheme them up. And if the guys don't make the plays and are unwilling to make the plays, you know, that's a different story. But what I see routinely with this Frost, you know, led team is they reflect the coach, man. And, and the coach is in shambles and the coach doesn't really know what he's doing. And it leads directly to this team that when crunch time when, when crunch time comes down to it, they don't know what they're doing. Moving on to the game that I wanted to talk about, we have a barn burner, North Carolina State, North Carolina, 34-30. North Carolina just went in and scored. I believe it's going to be North Carolina's ball to go after them. NC State, 34-30. Fun game, energetic game. I don't think North Carolina State's that good. NC State, I think North Carolina isn't that good either, but they have a really fun quarterback that'll probably get drafted in the first round. So we'll see how that one ends up. Maybe I'll talk about it by the time I'm done with this game. Maybe I'll bounce, or maybe by the time I'm done podcasting, I'll bounce back to it as, as a last minute notice. So now we have the big games. Ohio State, Michigan. I'm going to just talk about it. Uh, I hinted at the rivalry. I hinted at what, what the team has been what people who are on the outside looking in don't really know about this rivalry. But I need to talk about what's going to actually happen on the field. And all week, every single goddamn person on ESPN, on, on FS1, on Fox, on every single news station you can cover, it's the same exact story. It is the same exact story I hear from everyone every single second. While it's a young def the Ohio State team that defensively they've really come together in the second half of the year and they figured out you know, how to play, and they've held really, really good offenses to not much, and, and and they've really figured it out, and they changed up the scheme, and they're just a much better defense now, and then offensively, it's like they're clicking, there's no weak point in this, and then it's like the only way Michigan can lose, the only way Michigan can lose is, or, or can win, sorry, I, I apologize, the only way Michigan can win is if Ojabo and Hutchinson go off. That's, that's the only way. They're a passing team. They're willing to pass first. They're going to beat you. You got to just, you know, try and score with them. And I just think that this point is so over-talked about. Like, Joel Klatt said it. I heard three different dudes, the Rich Eisen show said it. It's like, yep, David Ojabo, Aiden Hutchinson. He's like, guys, that those are fine and dandy, but the people that you need to show up for your damn game against Ohio State are your cornerbacks. And no. And cornerbacks and most importantly safeties and no I'm not saying they need to shut these guys down but there's two things that you have to do there's two immediate things that you have to do to help your team beat Ohio State and it's what Oregon did first off you need to tackle well in the open field you need to not let these guys get yards after catch Whenever a guy runs a crossing route for Ohio State, he gets eight, nine yards after the catch. Someone's trailing him in man-to-man, -man, and no one's sitting on the other side in the zone, and they get beat and beat badly. 
So that's that's step number one. They need to tackle in the open field. They need to let them get separation, but be able to close down and disrupt balls at the point of catch. And you may be like, well, that's not a good strategy. Ohio State's going to get a lot of yards. Look, Ohio State right now is moving so efficiently on offense. Look, even their loss, right, against Oregon, everyone's talking about, oh, their offense wasn't very good. No, 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 no. Ohio State played incredibly well. They moved the ball. They had a... Uh, you know, 400 yards. They got after it. They were able to move the ball whenever they wanted to. But two things changed that game is red zone scoring and open field tackling. There wasn't a lot of yards after a catch. There was eight yards, seven yard, nine yard crossing routes, ins, digs, and cuts. But none of them got anything more than that. And that's step number one. And step number two from your safeties, they cannot get over top of you. I don't care if you have to put someone 25 goddamn yards away from the line of scrimmage. That's what you have to do. Because when Ohio State is on rhythm and in tempo, they can snowball games out of control. You saw every single time OSU and Michigan has played the last two meetings is they get over top of you, it's over. You don't have a deep safety that can keep up with their speed or is willing to get beat underneath. Right? Get beat for 15 because you don't let up 70. That has to be the strategy from these teams, which is exactly what Oregon did and exactly what Nebraska did to keep both of these games close. And the last thing you need to do is obviously dominate the line of scrimmage. This is true in all games, though. right? Not in all games do you need your guys to line up 20 yards past where the line of scrimmage is to make sure you don't get beat over top because you're facing you know, what is going to be four NFL wide receivers at one point, but currently two first-rounders and probably next year another first-rounder in Smith and Jugba. So what, what does that mean for the, Lion, or for the Michigan? What do they need to do? They need to prove and be dogs. They need to go out there, tackle well, and win the line of scrimmage so Ohio State can't run. You have to make this team one-dimensional on purpose and make them throw and throw and throw. And I know you're going to be like, that's crazy to say. No, you do not want Trayvon Henderson going off. You don't want 250 rushing yards. You don't want them to find holes and seams and running RPOs and getting big chunk plays. Because when that happens, is you have to tighten everything up. So you have to stop the run in order to make sure that the pass doesn't beat you. I know it sounds dumb, but watching Michigan... What, what's happened every single year they lost? Obviously, they aren't as good. But what's happened is the run game sets up deep play action pass, deep RPO passes, and it completely shits on them, right? And it completely dominates them, and they lose. Now, that's the defense, right? Everyone's talked about the line. No, no, no. It starts in the secondary and then works on stopping the run. I, I, Ojabo and, and Hutchinson are probably going to get after the quarterback. I hope they do because C.J. Stroud probably hasn't faced two as talented DNs, but he also hasn't faced right a team that has that has lost to them 17 out of the last 18 times. You know, it's it, it was or no 16 out of the last 17 times they played. So there's also that factor. Offensively, what does Michigan need to do? Not be pussies. I'm gonna frankly say it. I don't care if that offends anyone. I don't care. They need to not be pussies. If Harbaugh comes out and they, they need to run the ball, don't get me wrong, they need to run the ball, but they can't be the system that they are. When, when you watch games and, and you think about how Michigan plays, if they go in on first and 10, if they run a pass play, like a long developing play action, and it's incomplete because it's a shot downfield, what is it second and 10 play? I've seen it for seven years. It is a run, power, right or left side. Every single time. And like those are the schemes that you have to get away from. It's like, I'm good with running a ball. Run a jet sweep. Run a run a like an option. Run something different to give them different looks. You can't be predictable against the Ohio State team. Now, offensively, they have to keep up and score. And this Ohio State defense has been playing well the last few weeks. But let's not act like Michigan State was the same team that played Michigan offensively. And you're going to be like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. look, they were down 21-0 at the end of the first quarter. You cannot call plays as if it's a two-score game when it's still in the first quarter and your defense hasn't come close to getting a stop. They were not able to get Kenneth Walker the third the ball. Why? Kenneth Walker was A, banged up, which he was completely healthy for the Michigan game, and second off, when he did run, he had 
He started the game off with four carries for 32 yards. He was averaging eight yards a carry. It's not like they were slowing him down. They were just down so quickly that they couldn't go to him, and they really relied on the pass way too early, even with their best receiver out. Now, with that being said, I don't think that this game is going to be closer than a touch than a touchdown at any point after the first quarter. I think Ohio State probably gets up, puts up two scores in the first quarter, probably runs downhill on them, probably gets some big chunk plays. Michigan scores a late touchdown at the end of the first quarter. You're getting thinking they're going to get some momentum, and it just goes away because Michigan has never been the team to win this game. You'd be like, yeah, you're a Michigan fan. You should think they should win. Look, I'm going to be rooting for them the entire game, even when they're down 21. I'm going to be watching every single moment in agony, just like the rest of you guys out there. But the difference is, is every single year that they've played, well, not not in 2019. I'll say not in 2019. They weren't like, yeah, this they definitely have it. But 2018 with Chase Winovich, the revenge tour, everyone's like, yep, this year's going to be different. This year they have the secret stuff. This year they're going to go out there and show them that they're the better team, get ran out of the goddamn place. Right? The year that Michigan had a two-touchdown lead through a play-action pass from your own two, it gets picked off, pick six, then your defense goes out and then lets up a game-winning drive. Pass interference be damned. Short whatever, but... It is not reality that Michigan has ever showed up for this game since 2003. You know, against a good Ohio State team. They haven't showed up for this damn game. And so it makes no sense for me. Look, I'm going to watch. I'm going to be cheering on my team. But it makes no sense for me to act at any point that I should favor Michigan here. Look, they're seven-point underdogs for a reason because Ohio State's the better football team. Can Michigan come out and play their best game and beat Ohio State? Absolutely. Is Blake Corum probably being out hurt Michigan's chances of playing a perfect game? Yes. Does Donovan Edwards' week last week help them play a more perfect game? Yes. Do I know what's going to be the outcome of this game? No. But I can tell you two things. I can tell you two things for sure. There's going to be a call or there's going to be a turnover or a fumble that everyone's pissed at and that we're going to be talking about for three more years if it's a close game. Same thing that happened with the Michigan State game. We talked about the knee down, blah, 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 blah. It wasn't the reason why they lost a blue 16-point lead, right? And so when you look at everything like that and, and you look at everything, it's going to come down to some stupid play that we talked about for five years. Michigan and Harbaugh are going to blame the refs. Everyone on Twitter is going to talk about it for two weeks as Michigan goes to another New Year's Six Bowl. All the alumni are raking the money and they say, yep, Harbaugh, guess what? You were close this year and you, you showed improvement and you made this university a shit ton of money. Who cares? So that's my true thoughts on the Michigan-Ohio State game. I hope Michigan wins. I think they can make it competitive, but I think Ohio State right now is the better team. They have better recruitments. They have better players. I think they have a better coaching staff. Um, I'm not talking about the number one team in the country because they're playing an irrelevant Georgia Tech team. Uh, Baylor is playing Texas Tech. Always tough to play Texas Tech the way that they kind of go after things. They have a very staunch team. Uh, they, they effectively carry and hold the ball. But I will say without a doubt that this Baylor team is incredibly skilled. And if them getting the 10 wins after all the things that have kind of gone on, after everyone has kind of left their program, Art Bryles and all the craziness with them, the raping, the all that scandals, and then you go on and you get a new coach and then he leaves for the NFL, I'm absolutely happy with this Baylor program. Whenever people are like, how is Baylor football good? It's like they are in Texas. Anyone who's in Texas who can recruit well can be good. Um, moving on, Alabama-Auburn. Alabama's 20.5-point favorites, and I know Auburn's missing their quarterback, but it's in Auburn. I don't think that this coverage is really good. I think Alabama's cutting riding the coattails of blowing out teams last year and dominating last year on this same team, which has a completely different roster. Alabama has not been dominant. One of the big differences, right, they almost lost to Florida in Florida. They almost lost to Arkansas last week. I mean, this team hasn't blown out a lot of teams. They've blown out bad teams. Let's not act like they've been our typical Alabama team. Now, are they still good? Are they still skilled? Are they one of the best and best recruited teams in the country? Yes, that's why they're at number three right now. But let's not act like this is going to be some blowout. They haven't really blown anyone out all year. And I know Auburn's missing their starting quarterback, but... I think at any point this Alabama team can, you know, be taken advantage of. And and I think their defense has a lot of holes, and maybe they show up for this rivalry game. But maybe Auburn shows up for this rivalry game a little bit better than Alabama does. 
So, I thank you guys for listening to me ramble on about that. We still have a few more games left that I want to talk about. Um, I'm not going to talk about BYU-USC. I'm not going to talk about Notre Dame-Stanford. I'm not going to talk about Clemson-South Carolina. Although, I do hope Clemson wins that game, gets to 9-3, and and still turns around their season. I love uh, the University of South, or, uh, Clemson. I got to stay there one time for baseball, for World Series. Shout out to uh, that. And... Um, not going to talk about Pittsburgh Syracuse. The few games that I want to talk about, one is in the Big 12 and one is in the Pac-12 and two are in the Big 10. So this is going to be me rambling on. Then we got a lot of NFL stuff to cover as we're about a half hour in. So Oklahoma, Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State. This is a tough place to play, man. Teams go in. Bedlam is a nasty place to go. Absolutely disgusting. And I don't think Oklahoma has what it takes, man. I honestly don't think Oklahoma has what it takes from a toughness standpoint. From a toughness standpoint. And I think Oklahoma State is the tougher team. I think that they've been a dog in this rivalry. I know they've upset them a few times, but I know they've been a dog in this rivalry, right? Who thinks of Oklahoma State as a powerhouse? Like, the last time you think they're relevant is what, Barry Sanders probably? Me too. Mike Gundy has been there for a million years. His mullet has aged impeccably. It was in fashion when he got there. It came, went out of fashion for about 15, 20 years, and now it's back in fashion. That's goddamn impressive that you're at one place for so long that your hairstyle goes is in, out, and then back in style. All right. So with that being said, Oklahoma, I think, gets dominated at the line of scrimmage. Oklahoma State is the tougher team. I think they might be the better team. Not overall, but Oklahoma has some gaping holes on their toughness in their line, on their D-line. Oklahoma State might run for a horse here. Might run for a horse. And I really like how this Oklahoma State team matches up with Oklahoma. I talked about this as more and more teams become specialized, as more and more teams become more, more disciplined in a certain avenue. Teams like Oklahoma State who match up extremely well. They're going to run the ball. They're going to dominate the line of scrimmage. They're going to throw the ball, but they haven't been as pass happy as they were with what Brandon Whedon, I think, was the quarter or the running back. They kind of had a new identity when Chuba Hubbard was there. Now, if Oklahoma wins this game, beats Oklahoma State, then goes and beats Baylor, avenging their only loss while beating both these teams by a score or a score two, are they suddenly in the college football playoff conversation again? Even with all their close games, we've really seen Nebraska go toe-to-toe with just about everyone good. And and what what we need to look at... Oh, sorry, I had to itch my eye. That was, that was awful. It was like one of those weird eye itches where it's like just in the corner, but you really got to dig in deep, you know? But Oklahoma State is the better team. And if Oklahoma State wins this game and then they go on and beat Baylor for a second time, a 10-win Baylor team that is going to be in the top 10 in the country, do they suddenly get a jump in? And I think that the only team that can't win the Big 12 championship game for the Big 12 to get a team in is Baylor. If Baylor wins it with two losses, I think there's no way that they will ever put a two-loss Baylor team in the championship. It's just not going to happen. I know the losses were early, and I know they've done a really good job to recoup, but they, the CFP putting a two-loss team in, they'd rather put Bama in than a two-loss Baylor team. And they're definitely not going to put them in Cincinnati because they'd have their heads on spikes. So that is kind of my opinion on that game. I like Oklahoma State here. They're favored by four and a half. I think they're the better team. I think this might be a double-digit win, and I think this bumps Oklahoma State after winning at home against Oklahoma by double digits if they, in in fact, do that. I think that they could be all the way up to five because Michigan's probably going to lose this week, and then that puts them directly in the spot to take over Cincinnati when they beat Baylor. So, moving on, the last two games I want to talk about, and this is mostly just for my Big Ten country folks, are Wisconsin and Minnesota. Minnesota runs the ball. Wisconsin stops the run. This game is favored seven with Wisconsin because they're playing at Minnesota, and it is a four o'clock game. I do not like Wisconsin here. I think Wisconsin may on, may be on upset alert. I don't know if they've already clinched the Big Ten West. I don't know how all of the things will kind of play out with Iowa and, and everything. But I really like Minnesota to cover this game and maybe even win it. The reason why is the reason why is Wisconsin is singularly dynamic. 
they can run the ball, and Braylon Allen is an absolute howitzer of a running back. This man's thighs, like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm straight, but that man's thighs are like, oh my god, that's some cake, brother. Like, this man's legs look like goddamn steel beams, man. And I just absolutely cannot fathom the fact that he is 17, I think turning 18, but if he don't get going, and if he don't find himself, this offense has no answers. And Minnesota's a weird, tricky team, and I don't think they match up well offensively, but I think this can be one of those low-scoring games that come down to a field goal that, that no one really knows how it ends up. And, and what you end up having is like a walk-off Minnesota kick that, that gets them back into the relevancy of the college football. The over-under is 39. Yeah, like I said, not a lot of points predicted in this game. Uh, I, I do think that Wisconsin matches up well, but Braylon Allen has had a ton of carries over the last few weeks. He's getting, I think, in my opinion, overworked a little bit. I don't think that's good for a young running back. Uh, to carry the ball that much, I think Braylon Allen, uh, it might break down a little bit in this game. You might see his legs be a little bit more tired in this game. And Minnesota's a big physical team. Now, Minnesota doesn't have any answers on offense, and I think this could be a 14, you know, 7 game where someone scores, kicks a late field goal, maybe wins it. But I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if Minnesota pulls off this weird victory. You know, they've been on and off where they fight teams very, very hard, and, and, and they always play big games at home extremely competitively. Next up, we have Michigan State versus Penn State. This is more of the connotation that Penn State is a good team, that Michigan State has a lot of injuries and isn't the same team they were when they jumped up in the rankings. Penn State is favored by four, which was more than Michigan was favored by, against Michigan State at MSU. This is going to be a uh, 3.30 kick on ABC, and I'm scared for Sparty here. And I know it's not an upset because technically Penn State is favored, but I don't know the answers that Michigan State has at running back. I don't know with another receiver injury if they have the answers at wide receiver. And I for sure know that they do not have the answers at defensive back. And Jahan Dotson is an absolute dog. He is a, he might, depending on how he tests in the NFL combine, I know there's a good amount of wide receivers who are going to be coming out who are top end talents. He is going to be a late first rounder, early second rounder. And he may be one of those guys that's better immediately because of his crazy fast twitch, his, the crazy The crazy way that he is able to move and, and, and create separation at all different types of the line of scrimmage. At every single level, he makes guys miss. At every single level, he does things that you're like, what in the hell is going on here? And really the saving grace in the Michigan-Penn State game and the reason why Penn State ended up failing on fourth down is because Jahan Dotson got rocked and he had to get pulled out of the game. In all honesty, I think Jahan Dotson is a, an incredible receiver. Stephen Clifford is no longer there. I, I think that's incredibly important for this Penn State team because Clifford, when he was healthy, was competent. And he wasn't great, but he was a competent quarterback that did just enough to, to, to get by. But the new guy that came in, uh, what was it? Christian Villanoa. He's from Ontario, it looks like, Canadian A, 235, three touchdowns. I know it was against Rutgers, but when a freshman comes in, is able to throw the ball like that, it's impressive. And so my thought is, is that Sparty's in trouble, but what is Mel Tucker's identity? And, and why did Mel Tucker get signed? And I'm going to talk about that too. He signed a huge deal, uh, $95 million. He actually committed to it, uh, which is a good decision for him. But Mel Tucker... Why, why are you here? Why are you at Michigan State? You were there to turn around this football program. Mark D'Antonio left it in shambles. Honestly, left it in a bad spot. He, he left the program at the same spot, or maybe even a little worse, that he inherited it as, which is laughable uh, given the context. But Mel Tucker, having a bad year last year, beat Michigan, beat Michigan again this year at nine wins. If you lose the last two games of your season in blowouts when you had a chance for the college football playoff and a Big Ten championship berth, that's not very good. 
Now, the reason why it's not very good is because recruits see that. And maybe recruits go, yeah, but I can get earlier playing time. I'm going to be able to, you know, step in earlier at this school. But it, it tells you something that you guys don't have the skills yet or the depth to manage a full season. All right. So, like I was saying, I do not like this matchup for Michigan State. And it, it, it gets in a recruit's head when the last two games, the most important games of the year, end up. If they're both blowouts, one of them was a blowout already, but that's a bad look on some recruits. Now, I'm not saying that Mel Tucker isn't going to do a good job. I'm not saying he's going to get his recruits. I'm just saying the same thing happened with Harbaugh in his second year. If you remember 2016, he loses that game. Then you lose the Florida State game. Don't get to 11 wins, and people have been holding 11 wins over your head. If you don't get to 10 wins after starting out, uh, what, 8-0? and you lose to Purdue at Purdue, you lose to Ohio State at Ohio State in blowout fashion, then you lose to Penn State three out of the last four games of the season, that is not a good look. And that is, you know, bad, bad on the image. Now, I think Michigan State has some answers. They have some young guys. They have some guys that could be given an opportunity to play in this game. The question is, Is are these guys ready enough? We've, we've talked about Michigan State recruiting. We talked about all these other recruiting, you know, trenches in games like that. Are, are they... Are they able to find a way? Are they able to find a path through the woods and, and you know, manage the control? Uh, another thing, I know I said I wasn't going to talk about it, but I wanted to talk about the Texas A&M LSU game. LSU is playing for six wins. They're going for bowl eligibility. At Orgeron's last year, at home, in Death Valley, playing Texas A&M, maybe they do it. Maybe they do it. Texas A&M, in my opinion, is not a very good team. I think they're a bit overranked because they had one crazy night at a home victory. They haven't played well in some other games. I like LSU to compete in Ed Ogeron's last game. I think players in general like Ed Ogeron. I think he is a player's coach. But I think he pissed off the alumni way too quickly. And they said, screw you, dude. We're, we're, we're done with you. So I don't know in the ins and outs of that game. But the number 15 team in the country is over fa only favored by 6.5 against a 5-6 and six LSU squad that has also lost to UCLA this year. I, I, just, I think the rankings are funny because a lot of the times Vegas sees it completely differently. And maybe we should have Vegas doing the rankings, but then they'd probably rig shit because they're a bunch of cowards. Oh, and we have the final for NC State, North Carolina. NC State ends up winning a close one, 34-30. North Carolina loses this game, and I don't think they became... Oh, they are bowl eligible, so they were already bowl eligible. But NC State pits up a big win over the rival, and North Carolina falls to a meager 500 in a season where they lost some talent on the offensive side, but defensively was really the letdown here. Mac Brown looking to bounce back next year after they get through their bowl game. Now we talk about the hey daddy of them all. NFL football, baby. We had a awesome I would say Thursday slate of games and when I mean awesome I mean they were terrible weren't they the Lions Bears game was horrendous I mean I had zero fun watching it and, and I'm a Lions fan and I thought that they were going to win it uh, Dan Campbell you need to not manage football any longer and I and I know that this is this is a maybe off the cuff take and I'm not I'm not a guy to make outlandish takes. He is not an NFL head coach. Every single instance he has a decision to make. He makes the wrong decision. It doesn't make any sense. He he never does it correctly. At back to back timeouts, which was a flag which got them closer, which wasted the game. They they the goddamn Bears guys. Not not the not the Patriots. Not Tennessee. Not a good team. The Bears had third and four at your, I think, 11, and the Lions were playing seven yards off the line. They gave them a first down. A first down wins the game. You'd rather them score a touchdown so you can get the ball back and score, and they had guys lined up seven yards off the line of scrimmage. Like, what the hell are you doing? I've never seen someone who has been a first-year head coach. No one gave a shit this year. Everyone's like, yep, this team sucks. Dan Campbell, I need you to learn how to manage football. I need you to come up with good game plans. I need you to put Jared Goff in situations where he can win. And Dan Campbell's like, yeah, that's a really cool idea. Don't want to. Not interested. And I think Dan Campbell's emotional. 
I think he's a rah rah hoo hoo yeah yeah guy. But what in the Sam hell is watching the Lions game? Hey guys, they kicked it to our uh, three yard line, so let's just run the ball three times. And the NFL, you can't give away possessions. Third and or second and twenty. Yup, another run play. Like holy shit! Can you just not give up on drives? Can can you just call anything else except a run on third and twenty? Oh, guys, I'm gonna run a draw. We're gonna get him this time. You're still in field goal range for the one time. Field goal would have won a fucking game, you moron. Like, I've never seen someone so inept at managing games inside and out. He doesn't have a good game plan coming into it. He can't make any in-game adjustments. Like, holy shit, the only shining light in this whole entire shitstorm that is Lions fandom is the fact that this defense has played well for three straight goddamn weeks and the Lions offense is like, yup, not interested. Don't care, bro. Nah. I'm, 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 I'm literally out of things to say about how the Lions pick pick people. How the Lions pick new head coaches. Because they literally must say, hey, how do we make sure people like the guy? Oh, wait, never mind. Matt Patricia was a dickhead to everyone. No one liked him. All right. How do we make sure the media hypes him up and, and us making a bold, rare move? We pull a tight ends coach from, from the Saints. Oh, Sean Payton's apprentice extraordinaire. Oh, Bill Belichick's apprentice extraordinaire. And we're going to lead him. And the Detroit Lions football team is going to come back. And they all fucking suck, man. Like, they all suck. I, I, I literally talked about this Wednesday. I was like, I, we need to see Dan Campbell get better at coaching. And he's worse every fucking week. It's like he learns less each week. It's, it's like he goes to a fucking class to get shit removed out of his brain. And that brain is at every single Sunday and sometimes Thursday and always getting your dick kicked in on primetime TV. And you can talk about hard-fought victories all you fucking want. No one cares. The Lions have had... 30 fucking years of hard-fought victories, and and we're still loyal fans. That's the dumbest shit of it all. The Lions have some of the most outstanding, passionate, and, 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 and dedicated fans in the world. And they still come back every year hoping shit changes. Hoping that they finally found someone who can coach a goddamn team. Hoping, finally, that a player can make a play when it matters. And guess what? It never happens. And Dan Campbell, I, I really like the guy. I said, hey, I have high hopes. He's not very educated in the, in the world of football. He isn't a head coach, but hopefully he can learn. But they hired a dude who has the learning capacity of what it seems is a box of fucking rocks, guys. And I'm just so tired of watching teams go in week in and week out. And they know the Lions are going to have to lose a game. They know they don't have to try to fucking win because the Lions are going to lose. Like, Pittsburgh tried to tell the Lions, please, look, we don't need this win. We're irrelevant. Ben's 40 goddamn years old. We're not going to win. It doesn't matter. This season sucks. The AFC North is way too good. We're not going to win. And and please, literally, just fucking get a win. Please don't go 0-17. And the Lions said, sorry, bro, not interested. Not today. You know, I could play a good football game. If I fucked around and find out, it could be cool. If I could put up points play defense, do the special teams thing all in one fucking game, not commit six goddamn holding penalties, it could be cool. That, that could be a good time. It, do I want to do it? Nah, bro. Nah. And I'm not even mad at the players in the most part. The players all fucking suck. Like, it's not their fault that third string guys and second string guys and some practice squad guys are starting against really good NFL caliber players. That's not their fault. The, the, the one thing that I'll give this team is the players give their fucking darndest. They try as hard as they fucking can. Week in and week out. There's, there's dudes who are fifth round rookies playing their dickheads off. And I'm proud of them. And I'm, I'm proud of how the, the players compete. But at what point do we go, how the fuck did this guy convince a group of billionaires that he should help them make more money? Like, have you ever seen fucking Enron and how that shit crashed down? It's like a lot of really smart, quote-unquote, 
rich financial gurus got fucked out of a lot of money because they became overconfident. And this Lions organization is like a shithead of, yeah, we know better. We don't need to bring anyone in to figure out how to do this. And I'm not even mad at Brad Holmes, the GM. I think he's doing an okay job trying to build talent. But like, how the hell did they convince, did this guy convince people, yeah, I need to manage your football team? Hey, what are we going to do on fourth and one? Huh. Probably run a probably run a run play directly up the middle into the best rushing defense in the country. That that's what that's my opinion. Like I just it's irrelevant and I just talked about the Lions for like 20 minutes cuz I'm a fucking moron. Who cares? Who cares about the Lions? Literally no one cares. And I apologize for talking about the Lions and screaming about the Lions for all you who don't care about the Lions because you're probably like, "Yeah, dude, what do you expect? It's Lions." And I know. And I just I just got to stop caring cuz I'm a moron. All right. Going into really the only interesting game on Thanksgiving was the Raiders and the Cowboys. The Raiders end up winning this one, 36-33. It went into overtime. Offense was extraordinarily powerful. Dak Prescott throwing passes up and down the field. Derek Carr throwing passes up and down the field. And it came down to one stop. And this Cowboys defense isn't very good. And I talked to you guys about it. Their offense didn't lay a dud, which the last few weeks and the last few losses, their defense played pretty well, and their offense just didn't do anything. This week... It, it, it was the opposite. And this is the defense that we saw last year when they don't get a ton of turnovers, when they don't generate a lot of tackles for losses. You can move the ball on this defense. And in this game, what we saw was a team that got shifted on. And Henry Ruggs, their, their best receiver, isn't playing. And goddamn 5'10", white dude who looks like fucking Adam Sandler if he wore street clothes just drops 136 receiving yards on you? Like, holy shit, guys. That, that was not a good... That, put someone on him, please! It was, it was an awesome game. And Dak Prescott is a really good quarterback, and Derek Carr, or Derek Carr is a really good quarterback. Josh Jacobs is one of those Alabama running backs that churns out yards and is incredible. Um, Deshaun Jackson, guys, leaves L.A., says, screw you, L.A., I'm going to Vegas, even more fun a town that I can party and get drunk in. And he puts up 102 and a touchdown. He is their deep ball threat. They're literally like, Henry Ruggs crashed and killed a lady? Not ideal. Not ideal. Hopefully, her family, and prayers out to her family, right? We're going to go get another really, really fast guy that can take the top off the defense, and they found someone. The Cowboys, even without CeeDee Lamb, we knew they had a really effective wide receiving court, even without Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Wilson, Dalton Schultz. They, they, they know how to get it. But this team, this team isn't established to win these types of games. I really don't like their head coach. I don't think he does a lot of good jobs, Mike McCarthy. I I think what you're going to eventually see is the O coordinator of this team, which is uh, Moore uh, from the Boise State days, former Lion, if you you gave a shit. But uh, I think he's going to eventually take over as a head coach somewhere because offensively, this team knows how to do it. Offensively, there's creative and, and, and... Offensively, know how to get after it. This was the only good game in the NFL slate. Um, it, it really wasn't a fun time watching the rest of the games. Bill Saints. Bills absolutely slapped the shit out of the Saints. They played an incredible game. Uh, Josh Allen threw two picks still, threw four touchdowns, and it just didn't matter. Um, this Saints team isn't set up with Trevor Simeon to win games, and it's just that simple. I don't know the fact that Sean Payton continually gives contracts and they keep giving contracts to Taysom Hill, and Taysom Hill just doesn't do what, like, just doesn't play? I'm confused. Like, why are you paying this guy so much money if he isn't your backup, isn't your starter, and really only gets gets in on weird, crazy snaps? I just don't understand what the logic is there. But what I will say, and without a doubt on this team, is Buffalo picks up a huge win against New Orleans. And New Orleans really falls out of that. They pick up that big win against Tampa Bay. Really figured out Tampa Bay. Sean Payton knows how to defend Tom Brady. But Buffalo um, goes in, gets a huge win for them. Um, and the Saints are now battling, you know, are they going to be relevant in another two weeks? Or is it kind of over for them? So, I just want to wrap that up real quick and kind of say that the Thanksgiving games weren't that eventful. I know I screamed about the Lions. I apologize about that. 
Um, what we're going to kind of see here um, over the next few weeks is separation. There's a lot of teams that are vying for playoff spots, but what you see in this week, in, in week 12 of the NFL season, is there's separation. There's teams that um, were okay to good, and now they're separating themselves. Teams that were good have have lost their footing, and the Saints are one of those teams, and the Bills are one of those teams that needed to pick up a huge win, and they successfully do that here. Moving on to the games this week, Steelers-Bengals. Steelers aren't very good, guys. Najee Harris in this Bengals team matches up well to beat. Uh, sorry, Najee Harris in the Steelers team matches up well to beat this Bengals team just because of how physical the Steelers can play. But I really, really don't like the fact that the Steelers just aren't a good team, can't pass it, can't really do much. When you saw the Bengals lose the really, really bad game to the Jets, it's because they were playing a team that put up a bunch of pass yards, pushed the ball down, and Big Ben doesn't have that anymore. Joe Burrow and the Bengals bounce back here and get another win <clears throat> to make it three in a row and, and, and really reinvent themselves in that AFC North Championship race. We have the Buccaneers and the Colts. I like the Buccaneers in this game. I think the Colts have a really good run game, and they're going to be facing off against the Buccaneers, who have the best run defense in the NFL. It doesn't. It's a really bad matchup for the Colts. Carson Wentz hasn't been playing well. And I say this in all seriousness, Carson Wentz hasn't been playing well the last few weeks. They've literally taken the ball out of his hand and said, Jonathan Taylor, please win every game because Carson Wentz is going to throw us out of the games because he literally can't make stupid decisions with the football. He, he literally just refuses to make good decisions. And what you saw the Buccaneers team do is like, yep, that makes... Er, what you saw the Colts do is, yep, that makes sense. Let's try and win all these games by shoving our offensive line with Quentin Nelson and all these dudes down other teams' throats. And it was extremely effective. And I think the Colts um, compete and fight in this game. I think Carson Wentz probably has one or two really bad turnovers and they lose. But uh, I think three is a really good line, even if it's at the Colts. The Colts have been way too hot lately. Um, they're going to fall back down to reality. Panthers-Dolphins, this game's kind of irrelevant. Cam Newton and the Panthers against this Dolphins team. Dolphins have been looking achy, breaky, shaky. Some weeks they look really good. Other weeks they look incredibly inconsistent. You never really know what you're going to get when this team plays. The Dolphins have Tua and Jacoby and Jacoby and Tua, and they just don't know what they have down there in Miami. Um, offensively, they're too inconsistent. Defensively, they have to rely on too many uh, interceptions and turnovers to be an efficient and effective team. I like the Panthers to win this one. Um, Titans, and New uh, Titans and Patriots, I don't think this game's going to be close. New England's playing too good of football. Titans get their loss, right? And, and the thing that they, Ryan Tannehill throws four picks last week, and obviously not very good. But what does throwing four interceptions mean? Throwing four interceptions basically means that they had to rely on him. For one time, the run game didn't work. It wasn't effective. They didn't get good push up front, and they had to rely on Ryan Tannehill to win games. And when the coverage got tighter and A.J. Brown goes out, this this team isn't established well enough to go out there and win a game with Ryan Tannehill. Now, I know he won two games, and I know it's one game, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just kind of remain pat, I think, no, no pun intended, I think the Patriots win this game. I think it's probably by two scores, and I think they really cement themselves as one of the better teams in the AFC, and with that fact, move up in the standings again, and and you know Bill Belichick has found his quarterback. Mac Jones is incredibly accurate. He reminds me of Tom Brady. Now he wants to take shots. He wants to move ball down the field, but he's been not doing that his entire career at Alabama, at all these places. So I don't suspect him to really break the mold now. Eagles Giants, um, kind of irrelevant. I think Eagles pick up a win. Giants are really reeling. Dalen Jones turns over the ball way too much. Uh, I really like the Eagles here to win, get to 6-6. Six and six. This gives the Eagles now a, a road and a chance for the playoffs with the Dallas losing again. Everyone talked about, oh, uh, the NFC or the NFC is theirs to lose. And I thought that, and I was like, wow. And then they lose both their wide receivers. Their defense is kind of showing signs that they're the same team from last year if they don't get a bunch of turnovers. I like the Eagles here. 
Falcons, Jags. I think the Jags pick up a win. I think the offense finally gets opened up for one week. I don't think the Falcons are very good. They kind of play spotty week in and week out. They really need Cordero Patterson to go off, and if that doesn't happen, well, it, it doesn't really work out. Texans, Jets, who hell cares? I just hope Nico Collins has a good day, and it sounds like Zach Wilson will be back starting again with Joe Flacco out with COVID, so hopefully Zach Wilson has himself a day because you never want to see young quarterbacks struggle, even if you don't like them. Uh, I mean, Zach Wilson literally looks like a pretty boy that'd want to punch in the face and would probably talk to me about Mormonism. But I, I honestly couldn't, can't bring myself to hate him. Um, Chargers Broncos. This is a big game. Broncos have been unsteady. Defense has been inconsistent. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater isn't a dude. I mean, he's average. Uh, and Chargers need Justin Herbert. This would be a huge win uh, if they can get it this week. They need absolutely need a win here. The Chargers do. If they lose this game, they're going to be tied with the Broncos and Chargers, and I believe the Raiders are 6-5. and five. Yeah, so it would be a three-way tie for the last spot or second spot, if you will, directly behind um, the team, the Chiefs, that everyone was dogging on early on in the year. Now we have Rams-Packers. I really like the Rams in this game. I think the Packers um, are a little confused right now defensively. Everyone talked about... Uh, you know, they're so good. And then Justin Jefferson just ran routes around them. I think Odell finally finds his rhythm and has himself a good day. I like the Rams here to win this game. It is in Lambeau, so that's always really tough and a tough place to play. But I, I adore the fact that this Rams team uh, is going to go out there and, and play a good football game coming off a of bye week. Vikings 49ers. 49ers win this game. I think the Vikings are a good football team. I think they have a lot of an answers offensively, but I think this 49ers team has the answers defensively. I think that this 49ers team is incredibly skilled defensively, and I think that they truly know what, what it takes to win these games. I don't think that Kirk Cousins is better or worse than Jimmy Garoppolo. I think they're pretty complimentary people, but for the most part, I think the way that you have to kind of look at this is... At what point do you want to rely on whose defense? All right, last point. Or last two games. Or Monday. Uh, no, because I have work. So, Browns-Ravens. Uh, I think the Ravens win this game pretty handily. Browns are in chaos. They almost lost to the Lions. Offensively, they're still struggling a lot. They have a lot of injuries. They don't have guys that can win at the top of the route. They don't have an uh, effective run game. Baker Mayfield is in the same category as like the Ryan Tannehills, Kirk Cousins of the world, where they're really good when they can run the ball and manage teams and play action passes and deep crossing routes and stuff like that. But when he has to win games, I haven't seen it. I saw it at Oklahoma, but I haven't seen it quite yet. So I like the Ravens here. They're favored in this game. So I'm just saying all the favorites, but like it makes sense. Like I'm seeing kind of what Vegas is seeing. It's like, hey, you know, this is kind of how it is. Um, next up, we have Washington, Seattle. This one is even for ESPN. I, I don't really know how. Seahawks haven't proven anything that they're a good team, but Taylor Heineke and this Washington football group have really proven that they can handle themselves. They beat Tampa Bay. Uh, they manage the game effectively. They know everything. It's Monday night. It's in Washington, D.C. I think this is going to be a huge game for Washington. I think this is a statement game because of how much... The Eagles are 5-6. and six. Washington's 4-6. and six. If they get this win and the Eagles lose, they're right on the heels of the Eagles right now. And with Dallas losing again, they still have a lot of conference and in, in, or they still have a lot of in-division in division games left. I think that this is probably a, a field goal game late in the game by Washington. Heineke leads himself down another impressive drive, and Washington wins just because Seattle is in shambles right now on what they're doing on the offensive end. This Washington football team, we thought they are going to have a better defense. Maybe this is the day that they show up. But I think at, at the end of the day, you kind of have to look at these games as microcosms of the world. We have a lot of over 500 teams playing each other this week. And so this is the week that teams that are over 500 separate themselves. The Packers and Rams, like a loss here and the Rams, I believe, would go to 7-5 and five and only be one game ahead of San Francisco with the San Francisco win. So there's things like that that are online, and San Francisco currently has a head-to-head. -head. Obviously, cards, I believe, have a bye week this week, right? Uh, Cardinals, because I know I didn't mention them. 
Yeah, they have a bye week this week. So, you know, some of these teams, some of these top teams that are going at it this week, these are the the teams that are at the top. Tennessee and New England are going at it. Tennessee's eight and three, New England seven and four. Um Buffalo already played this week. Indianapolis going out and having to play um Tampa Bay. There's a lot of really fun matchups this weekend. I think this is one of the more fun matchups in the the NFL slate that we've had. And I do want to apologize that I know I said I was going to do some stuff and I just haven't been able to do it. On Sunday, I'm going to do the wide receiver thing that I talked about. Prepare that for Monday. Um, I, I apologize. I had to do this as I was driving. You're going to probably hear a lot of audio that's a little crazy, a little crumpy. And if it's bad, listen, literally just don't listen. Uh, I apologize. But I wanted to get a podcast out. I promise I was going to. Um, it's technically still Friday. So I held up my end of the bargain. But I thank you guys as always. You guys are so much fun to talk to. I love the energy and spirit. And, and, and I'm going to continue to upload for as long as you guys continue to listen and like my content. Um, with college football winding down, we have obviously the crazy week next week. I am going to start talking about college basketball a little bit more, NBA a little bit more. Um, I'm going to have one day of Red Wings coverage and just NFL standings and power rankings and stuff like that. So I thank you guys. You guys are awesome. The corners have been painted. You guys have a wonderful rest of your holiday weekend. I got to play golf today with a dude from Scotland. He was dope. He had a fucking full-on accent, and he was the nicest person ever. And he may have hinted that he lost 10000 at Las Vegas last night. But I thank you guys as always. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the weekend. The corners have been painted. Good night.